Welcome to Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla, where it's you who sets the conversation. Join us for the next hour as we take a fresh look at how we think about spirituality. Well, it is Thursday afternoon and that means it's Fresh Thinking time. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Nice to be with you. I think everybody, I hope, is in a little bit of a better headspace than we were perhaps last week and certainly the week before. Looking forward, as we are at this time, to the fact that it's Yom Tov. Yes, can you believe it? Can you? I feel like COVID is some kind of a time warp and we've lost track of how long it's been since the last whatever. I, I spoke to a couple last night. Uh, they're coming up for their wedding, please God. And, you know, it's going to be scaled down as it has to be in, in the common, in the current circumstances. But what was interesting about it is when they told me how long ago it was that they got engaged, it feels like, what do you mean? How's that possible? And you realize that 18 months of our lives have just been kind of blurred into this COVID reality. So it's probably a little difficult to imagine that Yom Tov is coming soon, but it is. Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, it's just five weeks out. Pretty much. So it's time to start thinking along those lines and time to start talking along those lines. That's a conversation I'd like to have with you today. It's something that I read an article that sparked this, this line of thinking. Maybe it's a little bit more philosophical than what we did last week. Last week we spoke about marriage. That's relatable to everybody. Perhaps you'll think that this is a conversation that you're out of your depth. Don't be afraid. Share an opinion if you're don't want your name out there, that's fine. You can always do it anonymously. But I'm curious to hear what people think because this time of year, everybody feels a little bit more spiritual. Perhaps not yet, but we're getting there. You know, as they say, repent now and avoid the high holiday rush. So I'd like to have a conversation with you about certain things that are thematic to the high holidays. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on them. So as you know, you can always engage on social media, both me and Chai FM. We're both on Facebook. We're both on Twitter, at Chai FM, at Rabbi Shish. There is the regular mode of, con- of contact. You can use SMS 34519 and Telegram on 0618951019. So I'm thinking to myself, if we're coming up to the high holiday period, of course, for me as a rabbi, that means something perhaps a little different to what it means for the average person. Average person coming up to Yom Tov, you've got to make sure that you've got seats in shul. How many seats will be available in shul this year? That might be a little bit up in the air. Are you going to have guests or you're not going to have it? From the rabbi's perspective, it's not just preparing some powerful sermon that hopefully will inspire somebody. But the real issue and focus of the rabbi is, will I succeed in getting the community to be inspired, to be connected? Not, Not necessarily by my speeches. I mean, that'd be a nice bonus. Of course, people turn around and say, wow, you said something that really moved me. The truth of the matter is our responsibility as rabbinic leadership is not just to make these grandiose sermons. It's to, to actually assist people to move and to connect and to grow and to have a meaningful experience. So it's definitely top of mind for me. And each year when it comes to this time of the year and we start to prepare for the high holiday season, I start to ask myself, so what's going on in, in people's minds? And what are our expectations? And what is the goal of this this time of the year? What are we actually trying to achieve? What are we trying to achieve? Some people will use, you know, generic terms. We're trying to ensure that we are blessed for the coming year. People will tell you, I don't know, what, what are you trying to achieve? Let's start with that. Why am I guessing for you? You tell me, what are we trying to achieve? 
over this high holiday period, over Rosh Hashanah and over Yom Kippur. It, you know, if and I know some people are like totally aghast at the fact that we're having this conversation already, but it's not already. It's really coming at us quite quickly. And of course, as somebody told me yesterday, not to plan is to have no plan. Or sorry, or maybe the other way around. But the point is, if you're not planning, if you wait until the last minute, it's unlikely that you'll get much value out of it. So I guess that's really my first question. What are we expecting? What would we like to get out of this period? What is the objective? How do you know that you've had a meaningful high holiday period? How do you know that it was successful? I remember somebody once saying, you don't until you get to next Rosh Hashanah. Only then would you, number one, be able to say, hey, I made it. That's a good thing because we speak about who shall live and you know all that kind of stuff. So if you get to next Rosh Hashanah, that's usually an indicator that you did something correctly this past Rosh Hashanah. And in addition to that, of course, you look back at the year and say, was it a good year? Now, I don't know, hey, if you look back at the year that we have just had from last Rosh Hashanah to this Rosh Hashanah, I don't know how many people will turn around and say, ooh, it was a really good year. There were good elements, I hope, in terms of personal growth, in terms of learning, reprioritizing our lives, living differently, appreciating that we are a, a global community, essentially. I don't know, there are many good things, and perhaps you have other good things that you could share what were your highlights? Maybe it's a little soon. It's not yet Rosh Hashanah. We can do another session on that, right? What were the highlights? What were the highs and the lows of, of the past year? But you do look back and, and it gives you a sense of how successful your high holidays last year were. So I guess the question we should start with is, what, what's the goal? Not just the goal in terms of how many blessings can I get from God in the coming year, but what is the goal for me as an individual? What is the goal uh, for me growing spiritually? Because a very strong focus of the How Holiday period is personal spiritual growth. So what's the goal for me in terms of spiritual growth? What is the goal for me in terms of something I want to change or something I want to achieve over the course of the holiday period? I know that one of the big themes, and this is going to be a specific angle that I want to share with you. Like I said, I read an article earlier today that sparked this thinking in my mind. One of the big themes, obviously, is the theme of forgiveness. Interpersonal. So before you go into the new year, you are supposed to approach people who perhaps you've insulted, hurt, done wrong by them. You're supposed to approach them and, and ask for forgiveness. That's definitely a big part of this time of the year. And we ask forgiveness of God, not so much on Rosh Hashanah itself, but in the period leading up to Rosh Hashanah, the Svichas prayers, Yom Kippur, definitely standing, you know, kind of uh, beating our, our, our chests and saying, I did this wrong and that wrong. So forgiveness, I think, is a very big or remorse, repentance, whichever term you want to use, atonement. So that's definitely a, a big theme around Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur time. So perhaps that's something that we should also focus on. You know, what's the what's the goal? What's what are we looking to achieve? What would we like to to see in a um, in a result, in in a personal result, in a personal achievement? What did I do? What did I succeed in during the course of this uh, of this Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur period? So I'd love to hear your thoughts. Please, please go ahead, share your thoughts either on social media. You know how to do that. I think at Rabbi Shish, at Chai FM, Facebook pages. Otherwise, 34519 on SMS and 0618951019 via Telegram. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So the question I guess we're asking, well, I'm asking at least, maybe it's too philosophical. Maybe it's, 
you think uh, you're out doing errands and sitting in your car and like, Rabbi, what on earth? Rosh Hashanah is overwhelming enough. We haven't even hit Rosh Chodesh at all. Give me some time. Give me a break. But it does relate to the parasha this week and it's this article that I read earlier today. So I figured, you know what? Let's just talk about it. Specifically about this notion of asking forgiveness. I get it. If you ask forgiveness of another person, let's say that something happened, as as life happens, right? Something happens between you and somebody else, and you feel, sure, I, I really messed that one up, and I've, I've got to do something, reconnect, come clean. Or alternatively, you feel that somebody's wronged you, and you feel they really need to do something and come forward. So we understand how you navigate that process. We also understand that it's not automatic. Just because you ask somebody to forgive you is not a guarantee that they will. And just because you try to make things right doesn't mean that you succeed in the long term. And that's probably something that, that worries us a lot in life. What happens if I reach out? What happens if I try and it doesn't work? What happens if I make a commitment and I say we're going to fix things going forward and then I drop the ball and... We're back at square one. Now we're upset at each other again, as the case may be. So what then? That's life. You know, we try our best and either we get it right or we don't get it right. The question I have is, does it ever feel on Rosh Hashanah and specifically on Yom Kippur where you're given a list and you're told that these are the things that you're supposed to say confession over and these are the things that you're supposed to repair and even before you get to Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, I think this is a generalized question. Generally speaking, as Jewish people, you know how it is with Jewish guilt. We're always carrying guilt for something. I didn't do this well enough. I didn't do that well enough. We're probably a unique breed in the sense that we could do something and still wonder if we may have transgressed something. Take, for example, Shabbos. So you have a person who's been Shabbos observant for many, many years and still has niggling doubts in the back of their mind. Hang on a second. Is that the correct way to do X and Y? You know, I've been doing this for years, but did I really get that right? So guilt seems to be somehow built into our psyche as Jewish people for whatever reason it is. So the question is, we all think at some point in our lives that we've got to reconcile with God about something. Whether it's mandated on the high holidays this is the day that you're supposed to reflect or whether it's because I'm honest with myself and I know I've, so to speak, let the team down at some point and I've, I've done something that I shouldn't have done and I really want to come right. I want to come clean with God. I want to reconcile with God. So the question then is, how sincere is this? How honest is this? How often do we say that we want to change, to repent? I hate that word, repent, because it sounds so heavy. And it sounds also a little archaic. So I want to recalibrate. I want to rejuvenate. I want to refresh. I want to rehabilitate. Any one of those words. But I know myself. I know myself. And I, I, it's not really going to happen. I'll sustain it for a period of time. I know I've been down this route before. I've made resolutions. I've promised myself things. And then I've let myself down. And it's probably going to happen again. So how does it make you feel? Here you are, any of us, trying to get into a space, a healthy space, a better space, an improved space. How does it make you feel if you consider, I'm going to say the words, go through the motions, do the thing, and I, I don't even believe I'm sincere. 
And I don't even trust that I'll be able to hold it all together in the long term. So is there value? Is there any value in putting on this show, going through these steps, knowing that there's a pretty good chance it's not going to be a long-term success? Now, if you did that with other people, it wouldn't work, right? People run out of patience. Okay, you know, you've told me I don't know how many times that you're going to be more respectful next time, more considerate next time, or whatever the particular thing might be. And eventually, people's patience wears thin. And they say, I've heard that story. I'm sure we've done it. I'm sure you've done it. I know I've done it. I've heard your story so many times. Unfortunately, as much as I would love to, I actually can't believe your story anymore. So does God get like that? No. That's not the problem over here. The problem is not that God runs out of patience with us. You know, one of the perks of being infinite is that you have infinite patience. <laughs> so, so don't stress about that. Yes, I know you'll look at references in the Torah that make it sound like God has a short fuse. But actually, he says that he is kale, rachum, vechanon, that he is a merciful and gracious and forgiving God. So being, being infinite means that you have the capacity for infinite forgiveness. You can keep doing it again and again and again and again and again and again, and you don't grow tired and you don't grow frustrated, or at least he doesn't, and he doesn't grow impatient with us. That's not my question. My question is not, is God going to get ready you know, done with us. The question is, how do we see ourselves? How do we perceive ourselves? Do we perceive ourselves as wasting our time? Like, what, what, what really is the point of this? I'm gonna go, I'm gonna say the words. What's the point? Who am I kidding? People want to be honest with themselves, I think. Maybe not so much. Maybe people don't want to be as honest with themselves as I'd like to believe. But, you know, I do think people generally want to be honest with themselves. So it's not me. I, I don't think I don't think that I'm going to really change. I'm going to make verbal commitments to change. I'm going to show that I care about change. But that doesn't necessarily mean that I will succeed in changing. So how does it make you feel about yourself as a person? Any of us, I think. How does it make us feel about ourselves? Knowing that we're just going to kind of, uh, you know, try, 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 fail, 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 fail. And if you start to think along these lines, then instead of this being an empowering time of the year and an exciting time of the year and you feel that there's new opportunity and that you can connect and all that, you could very well start to feel despondent at this time of the year and say, oh, here we go again. It's like the second loop on the roller coaster. And I've already been through it. I know exactly what it's like. I didn't enjoy it. And I'm doing it again because I can't get out at this point. So here we go again. You know, oh, really? This is what we're doing here. So I think it's important for us to ask ourselves this question. And this is not just a personal opinion question. It's going to really be a philosophical question. What is the philosophy of Judaism? What is the philosophy around doing things that you believe or claim to be are genuine and perhaps they're not? So that's something that I really think we should uh, we should think about. We should talk about it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. As I said, you can catch me at all Chai FM on uh, social media, Facebook, Twitter at Chai FM at Rabashish. Uh, you can catch us on the line three four five one nine is the SMS line, and oh six one eight nine five one oh one nine is the Telegram details. That's how you go about reaching us. Oh, now there is a topic that I've deliberately avoided on air because whatever, don't feed the beast kind of thing. Anyway, 
I'll reserve opinion on that one. We could discuss it perhaps another time. Also, if you're a qualified social worker or psychologist, and take a listen to this, HiFM Helpline is looking for volunteer counselors to join our helpline team. This is a really important thing, especially at the moment. I think everybody will agree a lot of people are taking strain. If you're qualified in trauma, grief, or crisis counseling, the HiFM Helpline would love to welcome you on board. Please email info at chaifm.com with your contact details. I think that's a really brilliant thing, by the way. And it's something we should seriously consider um, helping out with if you have the, if you have the training, if you have the ability, if you have the time. And if you've just joined, then it's Thursday afternoon and you're on FM. That means it's fresh thinking. You're with me, Rabbi Shishla, all the way till just before three o'clock this afternoon. Serious topic today. A serious topic because it's maybe a little bit more philosophical. The question I'm asking is, what do you feel? What do you feel about coming up to the high holidays or just generally as a Jewish person reconciling yourself with God and feeling perhaps it's just a little hypocritical, feeling that I'm wasting my time because I keep going through the motions again and again and again. I don't know if you do feel that you're wasting your time. And if you don't, that'd be great. So let us know. Oh, six, one, eight, nine, five, one, oh, one, nine. That's how you reach us on Telegram. Otherwise, three, four, five, one, nine SMS line. And you can use social media at FM at Rabashish on Twitter or the Facebook page, either mine or FM's Facebook page. He has an interesting one. Uh, this is a guy called Sticky Dude on Twitter. Asks a really interesting question. Because what about, how do we feel about uh, confessing, I guess is the word, or atoning for things that we never did? <laughs> That's such a Jewish question for things that we never did. Only Jewish people, I think, would be feel guilty over something they hadn't done wrong. But then again, you look at the Yom Kippur list, the Al-Khayt list, and there are many things on that list. Firstly, that everything is said in the plural. Okay, fair enough. So it's not just about me. But also, some of the things on that list are things that are definitely not me. I didn't do them. So why am I beating my chest and saying that I did? It's a good point. It's an interesting point. I hear somebody just says one word, never. <laughs> never. I guess that means never. It's never a waste of time to go through the experience of the Rosh Hashanah and the Yom Kippur, etc. It's so interesting. So this article that I was reading earlier today, which is based on a talk of the Rebbe, and he says that in this week's Torah portion, one of the expressions that's used is about God not accepting bribery. And he raises a very simple question. Duh, obviously God doesn't accept bribery because who could bribe God? Well, what are you going to do? Oh God, I'm going to be good. Will you give me something? It doesn't work. That only works with fallible beings. It doesn't work with perfect, infinite beings. Being, there's only one. You can't trick Hashem and say, you know, I'll be good. Can, can I get you some? It doesn't work that way. So it's an interesting question. You know, what does it mean when it says that God does not accept bribery? And there's a midrash, fascinating midrash, that says... Well, bribery is the repentance process. It's a form of bribery. Can you imagine that? The repentance process is a form of bribery. Who would have ever thought of it that way? Hey? The repentance process is a form of bribery. Why? How? What do you mean? What do you mean? It's a, it's a form of bribery. This is what the Midrash says. The Midrash says that God says to us, and he says, my children, there's certain times where I open up the gateway of repentance and that's when I accept bribes. But when you get into the next world, which is called the world of truth with a capital T, that's it. No longer, no, how do they say it? Um, no correspondence will be entered into. 
That's it. There's no coming back. There's no second chances. Here's the world where you can offer a bribe. And he says, what's a bribe? Repentance. Why, why would repentance be a bribe? It's like such a strange concept, you know? What, what do you mean repentance is a bribe? But it does talk to the heart of the question that I've addressed with you today. And that's the question of, are we wasting our time looking to repent, to reconnect and so on and so forth, knowing, knowing what's going to happen next, knowing that we are probably going to mess up again, for lack of a better word. Here's Alan, quite a long uh, mess, not so long, says, I believe God believes that it is worth the effort. Okay, so my question was, are we wasting our time going through this whole repentance process? And Alan says he believes that God believes that it is worth the effort. And then he says, we engage in a mitzvah and avoid accepting sin as a norm, whatever the actual frequency of it is in one's current lifestyle. Perhaps this year we'll succeed at complete penance, but only if we try to fix it. So I guess what he's saying is, you've got to try, right? You cannot live your life not doing things in case you don't do them properly. That's the curse of the perfectionist. So just go ahead and try. And if it's not as good as it should be, it's worth something. One is definitely more valuable than zero. So that's definitely a Jewish attitude. We know that the sages tell us in Pirkei Avos and the Ethics of the Fathers, You do not have the responsibility to complete the job. And likewise, you do not have the right to take a break and, and not get involved. In other words, the Jewish attitude is do what you can and, so to speak, hope for the best. So you're right. If the goal was to achieve perfection, then we'd be wasting our time. The minute you understand that the goal is to work and the goal is to try, that's a whole different story. Such a beautiful and important insight you know, from a Jewish perspective, that we're, we're not expected to get 10 out of 10. When we talk about the process of, of repentance, we're not talking about a process that says, now I'm going to be 100% perfect. Again, when I deal with somebody else, and there was, there was an issue between us, and now I'm trying to reconcile with them, then, I don't think the word is perfection, but then I can understand that the person is going to say, listen, either you're in or you're out. Either you're doing this or you're not doing it. Don't mess me around. When you're trying to approach God, where God's not hurt because we've done something wrong. It's not like we owe him an apology or we need to fix something with him. It's to reconcile ourselves and it's to climb that spiritual ladder. At that point or from that perspective, it's no longer an issue of, so did you get there? It's a, did you try? In fact, I'd, I'd even go so far as to say that, just echoing what Alan has said over here, I'd go so far as to say that at the end of the day, if it was two people who really cared about each other, like a parent and a child, you don't necessarily expect that your child is going to be absolutely 100% rehabilitated now. You know, they did something wrong and that's it. They're never going to do it wrong again. They're never going to fail a test again. They're never going to mess their room again. They're never going to be chutzpahic again. But you appreciate the effort. You appreciate the fact that they have reached out. You appreciate the fact that they're cognitive of their mess. You appreciate the fact that they're trying to fix it. And so I think that's Alan's point, And it's a valid point that God you know, doesn't expect for us that we should be absolutely perfect. And that's just fine. You know, just, just keep trying. Here's somebody else on Twitter, Purple. He says, intent matters. Change starts with intent and happens slowly. And those are valid points because what is our intent? Is our intent to play the system? Is our intent just to get through this and hopefully Hashem, so to speak, falls for it? 
or is our intent that we really would like to change? I think it's a very profound point. Really, really good point. What do you say? Do you think that we waste our time sometimes trying to go through this whole process of spiritual rehabilitation? Love to hear your thoughts. Join the conversation on social media at Chai FM, at Rabbi Shish, or on Facebook. Otherwise, you can use Telegram 0618951019 or SMS on 34519. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. And today, talking here on Fresh Thinking, what are we speaking about? Whether or not we're wasting our time trying to reach out to God in pseudo... Oh, that's not a good word to use, right? We are genuine in our wish to rehabilitate ourselves. We're just not so convinced that it will be lasting. So are we wasting our time? Here's Lynn on Twitter who says, We must always live in hope of doing better. So I guess... Doing nothing is going to get us nowhere. Doing better will get us somewhere. It's an old Hasidic saying. What's the difference? Or which is better? A clock that has stopped or a clock that is slow or fast? It should work the same way. So some people say, well, at least the clock that has stopped is going to be correct twice a day. And Hasidim say, no, a clock that has stopped is no longer a clock. Rather move too fast or even move too slow as long as you're moving. The person is not willing to grow, not willing to try, not willing to move. Is the person ultimately that isn't going to get anywhere. Uh, he has Moria who says that we learn and grow from our mistakes. Our mistakes prove that we are human. Absolutely. I don't think anybody's denying that. That's why we have mistakes. We acknowledge our mistakes. The question is, when we confront our mistakes... Is there any value or, or are we wasting our time going into this great rehabilitation process knowing that it's probably spinning our wheels? Rene says definitely not because God loves us and we are all works in progress. That's why we were born and we should never give up. I'm not suggesting that we give up, by the way. Definitely not suggesting that we give up. My question is simply, are we wasting our time? So I mentioned to you that there's this Midrash based on this week's Torah portion that speaks about the fact that God does not accept bribes, except, says the Midrash, there is an exception. And that is that God does accept a bribe when a person works to repent. Now, what exactly does that mean? Why would repentance be considered a bribe? Maybe, if anything, should be considered a payment, don't you think? It's like when you owe something. And now you pay it back. It's reparations. Why would it be considered a bribe? So there's this fascinating insight from the Rebbe. And he effectively says this. Let's understand the difference between an ordinary transaction and a bribe. Uh, I'm sure you know. <laughs> Living as we do in this country, bribery is a conversation that does come up from time to time. Yes? I'm sure you've seen that, that thing that was doing the rounds, that meme that was doing the rounds about... How if you need to pay a traffic fine, there's a special document that you should be using. It's called the R200 document. It's pretty useful. Gets you out of all kinds of traffic offenses. So, yeah, we live in a place, I suppose, where we know a lot about the word bribery. We're not the only place on earth. Don't fool yourself. So what is a bribe? A bribe effectively expects that somebody is going to pay a small amount of money for a better result than that money should afford. Let's use the example. A guy gets pulled over for speeding. The ticket that he should be issued is a 500 rand ticket. And the guy says, he's going to try his life, right? He says that he's going, listen, 
how much will it cost to make this go away? Or as people like to say sometimes, what's the early bird discount? <laughs> so the guy says, okay, a hundred bucks. That's a bribe, right? You pay the hundred rand. It's completely illegal, not only from a legal perspective as civil law, from a Torah perspective. It's absolutely illegal. The person gives the hundred bucks. What's happened now is the person has paid a small amount of money to replace what should have cost a lot more or to re- re- achieve a result that should have cost a lot more money. And it would be the same kind of thing if a person bribed their way, for example, into getting a contract and you pay a certain amount of money. And that allows you the opportunity now to have access to this great tender that's going to make you much, much, much more money. Now, in God's terms, there's no such thing as money, right? You don't offer God money. You don't you don't bribe God. But even if there is such a concept as the Midrash identifies as bribery, it's certainly not a money thing. But the principle is correct. The principle that says, I'm going to do something that is minor, that is cheap. And as a result of that, I'm going to get something that is major. That's bribery. And that can apply in spiritual terms too. It's quite possible to do that. So let's think now. And this is the beauty of how the Rebbe explains it. Let's think now about how how Teshuvah works. How this process of spiritual rehabilitation works. Let's think for a second. How does it work? Let's say that a person did a particular thing that was contrary to the Torah. Whatever it is. person ate what they shouldn't have eaten. Took what they shouldn't have taken. Whatever. It's a big deal, right? It's a big deal. How do you fix it? Let's say that a person was perhaps unaware of the fact that a certain behavior was not allowed according to Judaism. And they followed that kind of behavior for months, maybe even years. One day they turn around and have a spiritual awakening and say, oh my, I cannot live this way anymore. And I have to change and I have to refocus and I'm going to be a different person. Now what happens to all of those, for lack of a better word, transgressions? All those misdemeanors what happens to them so logic says if i did something 10 times and each time it took me an hour to do it you would expect that it takes at least 10 hours to undo it isn't that logical right it's not destructive it's not like you're trying to smash down a wall which obviously takes a lot less time than building a wall you're trying to do something constructive you're trying to do surgery over here surgery takes time so by rights, logically, for every lost opportunity, for every lost minute, I should require at least another minute to compensate. And in certain instances, that could actually mean I could never rehabilitate myself because I'll never have enough time. When I start to consider all of the things that I'm trying to fix, and all of them need that kind of attention, and all of them have this backlog of work that I've got to work through, you could easily turn around and say, it's, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry, but I, I mean well, and I really have good intentions, and I'd love to, as people often say, Rabbi, I would love to, if I could, if I was living a different life, perhaps in a different incarnation, I would love to, fill in the blanks, keep Shabbos, keep kosher, whatever, but it's just not feasible. Is that how Judaism sees it? Is that what the Torah expects of us? Absolutely not. It's fascinating. The Torah does not expect us to go and spend the same amount of time and not necessarily even the same amount of energy in undoing what we had done wrong. Teshuvah can be pretty quick. So much so that the sages tell us that Teshuvah, spiritual rehabilitation, can happen 
which means literally in a moment. How? How's that even logical? How is that even possible? Ah, bribery. God's bending the rules here to say you have a debt of X amount of spiritual dollars and I'm allowing you off the debt if you'll just do a little bit of teshuva. That's as close to bribery as you'll get. Sounds strange, but it actually gives us an incredible insight into what we believe about the nature of teshuva, spiritual rehabilitation. This is Fresh Thinking with Rabbi Ari Shishla. So we have gone from talking about whether we're wasting our time trying to spiritually reconcile over the high holiday period or whenever it is that we want to repair, reconnect, say sorry, get forgiveness. And now we're talking about bribing God. <laughs> What's the connection? Because the Midrash told us that doing Teshuvah is a form of bribery, investing a somewhat limited amount of effort to receive and exchange a ma massive amount of spiritual reparation. So why? Why does it work? The Torah says clearly that God does not accept bribes. So why break the rules? <laughs> why break the rules? The Talmud speaks about this a lot. The Talmud says it's because he loves us. And it's because not just that he loves us, but it's because we are one with God. See, you can only really bribe someone outside of yourself, right? You can only really extend the bribe to a person who is different to you, independent of you. So I'm going to take some of my assets and give them to you. And that's going to be the bribe that you will use to now favor me for whatever reason, to let me offer punishment or to offer me this tender or whatever the case is. You can't bribe yourself. It's kind of self-contradictory. That's really the point. The point is that it doesn't matter who we are on the outside. It doesn't matter how many times we fail. It doesn't matter how much we have, to use an expression, soiled our soul. It doesn't matter how misguided we are. It doesn't matter. None of these things matter, ultimately. Because God doesn't look at us from the outside in as we look at other people. That's why we have a difficult time forgiving other people, right? Because we look at them from the outside in. And we say, well, you know what? I know that you're my friend or you used to be my friend. And I know that we might even be blood relatives. But I can't help but see the behavior, the attitude, the, the way you're treating me. And that's why we battle. That's why we battle to forgive. That's why we battle to connect. That's why we are susceptible to bribery. Bribery is not necessarily only financial. Bribery is when people butter us up and they tell us all kinds of things about us that we like to hear. And then we start to think, oh, you're actually a good person. <laughs> How do I know you're a good person? Because you make me feel good. God doesn't have this problem. God sees us from the inside. And when God looks at us from the inside, which is the truth of who we are, he says that at our core, we're absolutely good. Every one of us. doesn't matter what we've done doesn't matter where we've gone doesn't matter how much we kick scream and shout at our core every one of us is good at our core every one of us wants to engage with him at our core every one of us wants to live a life that is appropriate and that's why teshuva is not a process i'm trying i'm wasting my time it's none of that this is a process of saying let me find who i am i know it's in there somewhere would you ever stop looking for yourself? Would you ever stop looking for a loved one? 
Never stop looking. That's the message of this time of the year. It's not to pile responsibility on us. It's not to challenge us to stand up for values, commitment, etc. It's to challenge us to find out who we really are. And let me tell you, when we find it, it is so beautiful and empowering. So there's a thought for you. Something to ruminate over as we start to head towards the high holiday season. It's been wonderful as always. Thank you for your interaction. Thank you for your messages. Have a great day. Have a great Shabbos. Stay safe and stay sane.